Welcome, welcome at section four, transfer functions. So now you see after section, after part three, section three, we are now really in, in system theory. There I want to point out uh, who, who somehow influenced me a lot and uh, the book that were Curtin and Pritchard. You have them here together on this nice picture. And they in 78, they wrote this book where they call it what I call now distributed parameter system, they call this uh, infinite dimensional systems. They are synonyms for the same subject. What I will discuss here are transfer functions. You will not find them in their book. In that, that time, so 78, it was shortly, and, uh, shortly after Kalman introduced the state space, so everything was state space. Somehow Mathematical system theory somehow forgot about transfer functions and they are very important. Engineers never forgot about transfer functions. So I, in this section, I will also relate these transfer functions to classical engineering tools. First, let's see what will we do in this section. We want to introduce uh, the concept transfer function. And for the other one, we want to have a very simple definition, as simple as possible, so that we can calculate these transfer functions very quickly. Of course, somehow, one-to-one -one related with transfer functions are impulse responses. So they have somehow f fit naturally in this section. Let's start. And to start, I take this very, so this is not a partial differential equation, it's a, it's extremely simple ordinary differential equation. And everybody knows who had one course on transfer functions knows what is the transfer function of this system. But let's see how could you find it. And I've written down two options. You could take Laplace transform and you could take exponential solutions. Exponential solutions, just let it wait for one moment. I want to tell you how, how was it going with Laplace transforms. I will do this on the blackboard. There is again the, the ordinary differential equation, very ordinary. Now, what do you do with, uh, if, if you take the Laplace transform of all the signals? The Laplace transform of the derivative is S times the Laplace transform of Y minus Y at zero. So you get eh? What have I done? I took the Laplace transform and then the next trick is you take the uh, initial condition to be zero, so y zero to be zero, 
and you just want to express the Laplace transform of y into the Laplace transform of u. Now you see there is, an, is a function standing in front of it and that's called the transfer function. What's the difficulty with it? Now not all signals are Laplace transformable. So by performing this first step, I'm assuming already that u and y have a Laplace transform. For ordinary differential equations, linear with constant coefficients, that is not a strong assumption. But for PDEs, it's much harder to prove that there are solutions. So what can we say? So to have a La Laplace transform, these solutions should be exponentially bounded. Can we say that on forehand? All these things. So we don't really want to worry that much about existence of Laplace transform. We would like to have a quicker way of getting in this transfer function. And the faster way to do it is really to do exponential solutions. And what does it mean? We choose for every u and, and y, every state variable, we choose an exponential function. So we took u of t to be u0 e to the power st and y of t y0 e to the power st. In this case, since it's all scalar, I took u1 to be 1 and this y0 I called alpha. So let's substitute this into the differential equation. You get this. Very easy, yeah? the derivative of an exponential function is the power in front of it. But now you see, I can remove e to the power st. e to the power st is never zero, so I may divide by it at every time instant. This is what I get. Very simple equation which is easily solvable. So what do I find in general? This alpha is 3 divided by s plus 5. And this alpha, and we recognize it, hey, it's the transfer function. So it's the, it's the constant that comes in front of the output when you take u to be an exponential function and also assuming that y is an exponential function. Basically what I'm asking, that this equation is solvable. I only solve it when it's solvable. Sounds very trivial. So, but that turns out that if s is minus 5, I cannot solve it, and so I don't define the transfer function at s is minus 5. Let's make it into a formal definition. Here you have the definition. I'm assuming that I have a differential equation, or an equation, let's say, like it, which relates the input state and the output. The input is denoted by u, the state is denoted by z, the output is denoted by y. And what I then do for a transfer function, I'm assuming that, that I have a solution which is of the exponential form. So every time function is, say, a constant, a, a factor in the appropriate Hilbert space times e to the power st, I have a solution of that type. And then if I have a solution, and it's possible, so that I have it for every u0. So freeze s for one moment and just let u0 run through its whole Hilbert space. If I for every u0 in it in the Hilbert space u, I can find a y0 such that this is a solution. Yeah, there is this exponential solution. 
Then I call in this mapping from u0 to y0 is linear and bounded. I call this mapping the transfer function at s. And that I can try to do for every s in the complex numbers. Let's do this for our state space equation. z dot equals az plus bu. y is cz plus du. What do I do? I replace every signal that I have by something times e to the power st. And I u0 I freeze now in the y0 and the z0 I have to find. But the, the shape of the solution is given. It should be an exponential. Now substitute this into the differential equation. Becomes this. The, the time behavior of every signal is an exponential. The derivative of the exponential is very simple. And what do I get? I get this equation. Here you see something. At every element there is e to the power st. Again, e to the power st. s and t are scalars, so it's just a number and it's never zero. So I may divide this whole equation by it. If I do so, what do I get? I get this. I've took the liberty here to moving az0 to the other side. And now you have si minus az0 is bu0 and the equation for y0. But remember, u0 was fixed. I want somehow to find a mapping from u0 to y0. It goes via z0, but okay. So first I solve z0. If you look at the first equation, this is solvable if si minus a is invertible, then this equation just tells me z0 is the inverse of si minus a times b u0. The equation for y0, so to, I have now told you how to go from u0 to z0, now how do you go from z0 to y0? Just the second equation. But there's basically nothing to solve, it's just to plug in. This is what you find. So if this si minus a is invertible, boundedly invertible, yeah, invertible, I find y0 is c si minus a inverse b u0 plus d u0. And if a is boundedly invertible in the point s, in the complex point s, then I say that s lies in the resolvent set of a, which is given by this row of a. And then I have that this mapping from u0 to y0, so the complete mapping, is given by a linear bounded map. The inverse of a linear operator is always a linear operator. So I have that this is my transfer function. So basically what I have now are two ways of looking for this system, for this state space system, is looking two ways of a transfer function. I could try to solve it directly with exponentials. I could also use this formula. This formula, for people that follow the course A in finite dimensional state space theory, is a very well known formula. It's precisely the formula that you would expect to see as the transfer function. Example. We take again this bar, heated uniformly here on this half. I, I, I take the average temperature and I take half of it. Basically, it would be easier if I would have put a 
2 in front of it, then it would have been precisely the average temperature. And I want to find the transfer function. I have now two ways of doing it. I have the doing the exponential functions or trying to solve this formula, Csi minus A inverse B, etc. To apply this formula, I first have to say what are A, B, and C. This was a subject of part 3. You see what it is. The C was just an integrating over the state variable on this half. B was the identity on the interval half 1. And A was just the second derivative with these boundary conditions. So, I have A, B, C, D is zero in this, in this case, and now I want to calculate the inverse. And here I have given the inverse. But since we have not seen this formula before, I will tell you how you can derive this formula. What do you do? You just write down a phi n is lambda n phi n. Why? Just because phi n is the eigenfunction corresponding to the eigenvalue lambda n. Now I've wrote, written down the inverse. Why is this? Because this holds. Now I take the inverse on both sides, assuming that the inverse exists. And how do you get now the formula which is on the slide? Here we have it. What do we use? We use in that it's an orthonormal basis. So z can be written as an infinite sum over this orthonormal basis. I apply the inverse. Assuming that the inverse exists, it's a bounded linear operator, also assuming that, then I can take it into the sum. So, I have then to evaluate the inverse of phi n 
And that's precisely S minus lambda n inverse times phi n, of course. And there you have your expression. Given this expression, look what we have to calculate. We have to calculate the top one and this transfer function. So we do it in, in two steps. First we take z to be bu, you know, which is an element in my state space. So every place where there was a z in this equation for the inverse, I now have bu, which leads to this equation. Now apply c to it. c is a linear bounded operator, so it can be moved into the sum. And what happens? I write it here. Then it jumps a little bit further into the... and it ends up really at the far end with the c phi n. This is now the transfer function in formula. But now I would really want to calculate it. And we have this heated bar. So we know what lambda n and all these things are. Lambda n is minus n squared pi squared. And 0 is also included. So n starts at 0, 1, 2. And these phi n's, the orthonormal basis, it's for phi 0 there is a slight exception, it's one, in the other one there is a cosine. And this you can use. You just plug everything in in this equation. In the top one, I have just written down the equation, and what is it? Now, the, the, the eigenfunction is a little bit special for n is one, so what have I done? I, this sum running from n is zero to infinity, I took now n is zero separately. And what is the b? b is 1 on half of this interval. c is integrating over half of the interval. The phi 0 is 1, so the first term just gives me all these 1's. And then what you see in the bottom line is just uh, 1 divided by s minus lambda n, lambda n is minus n squared pi squared, and then I have this integral. This inner product between b and phi n is of course also an integral because it's a inner product. The integral here is the inner product on L2. So I have it. I just have to evaluate all these integrals. That looks more difficult than it is. These integrals, they are quite simple, and if you evaluate everything, this is the expression you find. You find this infinite sum. And this is the transfer function. And you find it for all s, say, except in these poles, eh? except at the lambda n's. Of course, there you could not define the inverse. Method 2. Look at the same equation, but now we do it directly with the exponential functions. So, there was a partial derivative with respect to time that becomes s times e to the power st. And then this is the expression that you have, the equation. You see at every element of this equation there is this exponential function again, so what do you do? You can may freely remove it. And you end up 
with, a, with an equation like this. So remember u0 is somehow fixed. I want to solve z0 and y0. Just a side remark, you see here, eh, Z0 was an element of my Hilbert space, that was by assumption. So the Hilbert space is L2, so Z0 is still a spatially dependent function. Now, if you look at the two first lines, there is just an ODE, an ordinary differential equation, inhomogeneous. But you can solve it. And there you have it. Looks terrible, but it's okay. You can use a computer program for it. You can also do it by hand. It looks more horrible than it really is. But you see, there you have Z0. Basically just solving an ODE. Z0 was just a middle step in finding Y0. Y0 was the integral from 0 a half of Z0. I have not written down all these calculations and things like this. This is the bottom line. If you evaluate that integral, you find this. So again, here you also see y0 is a bounded linear mapping applied to u0. This bounded linear mapping, since u and y are just scalars, this bounded linear mapping is also just a scalar. So what do you see as your transfer function? You see that the transfer function is somehow a, a, a tang hyperbolic, yeah. sine hyperbolic divided by cosine hyperbolic. And there is strangely enough popping up a, a square root of s. But this is it. Now, let's summarize. We took two paths. Yeah? One using in this, this formula because this PDE could be written in state space form, and then using the eigenfunction expansion, we found we found an, a series for our transfer function. By doing it the other way, by solving an ODE, yeah, a derived ODE, we got to a what is called a closed loop formula. But there is only one transfer function. So what is the byproduct of this? Is that this tang hyperbolic is equal to this infinite sum. Now, sometimes in a course on complex analysis, you are asking to prove a relation like this. But here you see a way of proving it. You just go via transfer functions. Second example. Just want to point out a few things here. Because it looks like our standard example, but there is really something going on, which makes it special. Here and here. The second line says that I have a boundary control. Okay. We did that. We know how to derive a solution under smooth use. But the third line is telling I have also a boundary observation. At the moment, I don't know how to write that, and I don't know if there is a solution. So I'm a little bit on shaky ground here. I don't know if there is a solution. But what I'm doing, I'm just asking, by doing my exponential function, I'm just asking, is there an exponential function solution? Yeah? So can I take every function as being an exponential function? So, nothing else to do than just plugging in exponential functions. 
The derivative with respect to time gives you this s. And here I again have a equation, three equations, where at every element there is an e to the power s. T, I can remove it. And that gives me this ordinary differential equation. But look at the top line. It's a very simple ODE. You're asked for a function, whereas the derivative is a constant times itself. That's an exponential. But now you have given it somehow with the u0, you look from u0 to y0. So you have now given it somehow an int condition, and you're asking him what is the initial condition, y0. Just mixing. Now you can solve it. And what do you find? You find here that the transfer function is e to the power minus s. st you plug in, but you find as transfer function e to the power minus s. This holds for every s in the complex plane. I had not to make any assumption on s. Impulse response. As said in the beginning, this section, this part is called transfer function, but transfer functions are closely related to impulse responses. And here I'm given the definition of an impulse response. So what do I assume? I assume that I have my transfer function, which I just calculated by these exponential functions. And these transfer functions exist on some right half plane of the complex plane. Yeah. I'm also assuming, say, that it's analytic there, and that it has an inverse Laplace transform, a one-sided inverse Laplace transform. This inverse Laplace transform I call the impulse response, and I will denote it by H. Let's evaluate this impulse response and for our state space system. Here we have it. So we have this state space system. The derivative of z equals az plus bu, y is cz plus du, a generates a z0 semigroup, b, c, d, all bounded operators. And what do you find? Precisely what you would expect from finite dimensional theory. Namely, the impulse response is equal to c semigroup b plus d times the delta function. Since I'm taking one-sided Laplace transform, I only get it for positive time. But I'm including zero because I want to include the delta function, which only lives at zero. So that's why I've written down greater than zero minus. So I include zero in my time x. Now I have a funny question. Let's take the Laplace transform of the impulse response. Do I get the transfer function? Now, the answer may puzzle you. The answer is no. This looks a little bit strange, yeah? I took the Laplace transform, or I took the transfer function, went to the impulse response, and now you have the idea I'm just going back. So you are now maybe completely puzzled. So what do I do? I do an example showing it, showing the difficulty. Why this answer is no? and why you have to take extra care here. The example that I will give, eh, showing this answer node, this negative answer, is not a PDE as we had before. It's just this equation. And I will explain it a little bit more on the blackboard, what is now my state space.
So my state space are the square summable sequences. Yeah? And this index of the sequence, and I don't write it as a subscript because I need to subscript later, but I put it just in round brackets, is just running from minus infinity to plus infinity. So, and you see here now a, a, a differential equation which relates somehow the state at level n with the state at level n plus 1. And at level 0 and level 1 there is somehow the input coming in. In the output I, I measured the state at level 1. Level 1 mean here. How do I calculate the transfer function? Just using exponential functions. So, my state space is this little l2 in the square summable, but my time trajectory is still assumed to be a exponential function, e to the power st. So what do I have to do? I have to substitute the, all these signals by exponential signals. And of course my state trajectory, the ZNT, becomes now a Z0, index 0, e to the power st. Here it is. Here it is, I've just, what I did before, eh, the time derivative of the exponential is the s in front of it. Every term had this e to the power st, they all been removed and you see it here at the top part. So this becomes now a, somehow an equation where n is just running. And the solution is given, and I will explain the solution a little bit better. Look at the top one. There it says s times my state at level n is the state at level n plus 1. But let's see, if I start with state at level 1, level 2, I have to multiply by s, I have to, multi and to go to 3, I have to multiply by s again. So what do I find here? If I start with 1 and I'm going up, I get a power of s or I get a term s, so I'm growing in the power of s. The same thing I can do if I'm going down, and since I may have this input in, in between the level 1 and relating level 1 and level 0, I'm just solving it below 0 for the negative ones. And I find this. Now remember, s is just a complex number. And what do I find? S is a complex number, but of course my state, this z of 0, this set index 0, should be in this square summable sequence. So we should have a square summable sequence. If s, or the absolute value of s, is larger than 1, then this s to the power n, with n positive, can never be square summable. The only reason, the only way I can get something in, in L2, in this little L2, is taking Z0 at level 1 to be 0. The same if I'm going down. Then, it's the opposite, but then if S is smaller than 1, 
or smaller than equal to 1, I have that that is not square summable. So for s bigger than 1, or the absolute value of s bigger than 1, I get z at 0 to be 0, and for s less or equal to 1, I get z at level 0 to be 0. Ah. I still have this equation relating the z0 at level 0 and at level 1. Let's look at it a little bit closer. I still have this, this relation, which I have not used. But you see if now s is bigger than 1, yeah, the absolute value of s is bigger than 1. So this is the situation. I have that the z0 at level 1 must be 0. So what do I find for z at level 0? I find that it should be u0 divided by s. And that's given here. I can do this very similar argument for s less than 1, absolute value of s less than 1. Just find this. Yeah, then the negative indexes of z0 must be 0. So what have I found? This y of 0 was only looking at z0 at 1, so at a positive index. You see that I precisely have to use what is written there. And I see I have to take for n, I have to take 1. And what do I get? Get s to the power 0, and that's 1. So what is this transfer function? You clearly see a linear mapping for every s, and there is a linear mapping, mapping u0 into y0. And what is this mapping? Here we have it. Basically what is done, within the unit circle it's minus 1, and the transfer function is minus 1. Outside the unit circle it's 0. On the unit circle, the transfer function does not exist. Yeah, I don't, I can, I have not defined the transfer function. So this is the transfer function. Within the unit circle, minus 1. Outside the unit circle, 0. Funny transfer function. But it's also a funny example. So, what do I have to do? I have to look at a right half plane where this transfer function exists. Now, since it does not exist on the unit circle, I have to take it somewhere right of 1. Yeah? I have to take a right half plane where the real part is bigger than 1. And there my transfer function is 0. What is then the inverse Laplace transform? It's 0. So the impulse response is 0. I can take the Laplace transform of this impulse response again. That exists for all s, all s in the complex plane. But it's 0 everywhere. Whereas transfer function had somehow a part where it's minus 1 and a part where it's 0. So you see, the Laplace transform of the impulse response is not always equal to the transfer function. You could wonder and that, it's, that it has to do with unboundedness of operators and things like that, but if you look at this example, it's in the standard form, you can easily write it in the standard form. But normally we had A being a differential operator, which is an unbounded operator, was not defined everywhere. 
This A is defined on, the, on my whole state space. It's really a bounded operator. So this strange behavior has nothing to do with unboundedness of operator. It has to do with the infinite dimensionality of my space, of my state space. It's really something that we get as a difficulty since we are working on infinite dimensional state spaces. Is then everything lost? No. Here we have a theorem. Theorem is saying, if you have this system, yeah, we have this state space system, and the semigroup is exponentially bounded by, say, a constant times e to the power omega t, then in the right half plane, right from this omega, we have that the Laplace transform of the impulse response equals the transfer functions. So there is, there is somehow justice. Yeah? We have somehow what you would expect this answer is yes, but the answer is yes only on a right half plane. And this right half plane is given somehow by this growth of the semi-group. Let's look at our example again with this knowledge. Now I don't want to prove it, but the growth of this semi-group with our example, the, the example on this, on this little l2 space, the growth of this semi-group is something like e to the power t. So what do we find? We have to be right from 1. So we have to look at the right half plane, real part bigger than 1. Then if you remember this picture, yeah, wait one moment, we were outside the unit circle. So right from 1, we, the transfer function was 0. And of course the Laplace transform of the transfer function is also 0. So they definitely agree. You also see from this example, I cannot, there will never be a theorem that will improve this. I can have, because here is precisely this growth is e to the power t, I cannot improve it. I cannot make it to a bigger right half plane, in general, of course. Now you are maybe again a little puzzled, yeah? Because sometimes you find nice transfer functions like we had before, and this cosine hyperbolic, or tangents hyperbolic, things like that, or e to the power minus s, as we have seen. Must I always stay right from this growth bound of the semigroup? No. Here is a theorem. If your transfer function is a meromorphic function, meromorphic function on the whole complex plane, so it's a division of two uh, entire function, yeah? it's a quotient of two entire function, then, and you have so, it has an impulse response, you assume that, if you take the Laplace transform, then you can take of this Laplace transform of the impulse response, you can take a meromorphic continuation, this one is unique, and it equals the transfer functions. Yeah, so we have, except for the poles, yeah, of course. So here we have definitely a positive result that we have somehow, if we have a transfer function which is meromorphic, we can just talk about transfer function and we don't have to worry that much about, oh, in which right half plane are we? There is a unique continuation. Summary. What have we learned in this part? It's very easy to find transfer functions using these exponential functions. Yeah, these exponentials e to the power st. It's very easy to do it. And it, you don't have to, you only assume that a solution of this type exists. 
you don't have to assume that on a function which you still have to calculate, a Laplace transform exists. It's much more direct. Since it's such direct, you can apply it on a PDE. You don't have to write it first in a state space form, you can apply it directly on the PDE. So you can somehow avoid going to the state space. Also, you can apply it on, on systems where you don't know precisely how to write it in a state space form. So you can apply it to PDEs where there is a boundary control and a boundary observation. Also important, from the transfer function you can derive the impulse response, but care has to be taken if the Laplace transform of the impulse response really equals the transfer function. In general, only in a right half plane, determined by the growth of my semi-group. And now the nice thing, these transfer functions are precisely transfer functions which you had before, yeah? If they are scalar. What do I mean by it? I mean that if you have a scalar transfer function, all these classical design techniques of Bode and Nyquist, where they are maybe, you thought they were only applicable to rational functions, can apply. Sometimes you have a condition that the relative degree should be 1 or 2, and that needs to have the extra care. Yeah? There you have to look carefully. But for instance, you can take the Nyquist plot of e to the power minus s. Now what is it? You evaluate the transfer function on s lying on the imaginary x. But e to the power minus s, of course, if s is an i omega, lies on the unit circle. So the Nyquist plot just looks like a circle. And it really first goes down, yeah, if you have, and it runs down in the negative direction. So this is the Nyquist plot of this transfer function that we found by this transport equation. We also had the heat equation. And then we had a little bit of a problem. We had a pole at zero. Now, for a pole at zero, you cannot draw the Bode plot. So I removed this pole at zero. Yeah? Just only looked at the, at the part where there is, where there is not this pole. Yeah? That we had first in this one divided by four s and then minus a term. And I've only written down this minus term. And here you see the Bode, the magnitude Bode plot. I could have also drawn the, the angle plot, yeah? the phase plot. And here you have it. And now you see something nice, it looks like a first-order system. So these transfer functions give you then a possibility to approximate it by lower-order systems. By just doing an approximation in the, in the, by the transfer function, you just approximate it by a first-order, second-order, and you have an approximation where you can work further with.